0: friends and welcome on into episode 50 of the Sco show. I'm Mark Schofield, happy to be back with you on today Wednesday, December 11th. We're getting closer and closer to the holidays, closer and closer to Hanukkah and Christmas and Kwanzaa and all the good time that we get to spend with our friends and family and loved ones at the end of December. And I'm excited cuz I get to spend some quality time with you on this lovely December Wednesday. A little snowy, little wintry weather here in the DC area, but we forge on. Today's show is episode 50. I wish we could do other stuff. I wish we could talk about other things. But we have storm clouds over our heads, and we have to dive into them. We're going to spend a lot of time on the Patriots passing game. I went through a couple of times the game from Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening. I've got some thoughts on their passing game right now, which I'm going to get into. But of course, you know where we're going to start. With our usual cavalcade of reminders, where else? Please do follow along with the hijinks on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Check out the work at places like InsideThePylon.com, Pro Football Weekly, Matt Waldman's Rookie Scouting Portfolio, and yes, that trio of SB Nation websites, Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, where I co-host the QB Sco Show with the Honorable Michael J. Kist, and of course, right here at Pat's Pulpit. Now long-time listeners to the various iterations of this podcast, previously locked on Patriots and now here at the Sco Show, know full well that among the things that I hate to do, yes, putting on the lawyer hat is one of them, as we talked about recently, but diving into the -the off-the-field stuff is another thing that I just hate talking about. There are places you can go to if that's what you want to hear. You know, radio shows, other podcasts, etc., etc., etc. I'm always more concerned with the on-the-field, the player evaluation, the scheme, the draft, all that stuff. But every once in a while, you have to address the bigger picture, the other things, the things that I hate getting into. And we have such a moment. Because unless you've been traveling the world or under a rock or taking a sort of mental health break from the media... In Twitter, you know that the Patriots are in the midst of what is being played up as another scandal. And it began on Wednesday when there was a question directed toward Cincinnati Bengals head coach Zach Taylor about an issue with the Patriots filming something either in the press box or in a box at First Energy Stadium during that Browns-Bengals game. And Diana Rossini and others from ESPN and the NFL started digging into this a little bit, and it becomes apparent that there is another taping issue around this team. And initially, there was speculation that it it was speculation in a lot of different Areas. Belichick was asked about it on WEI and said it was something to do with the production company that's in a documentary about an advanced scout. There was no sort of like a legal taping of signals or sidelines or coaches or from the Bengals or anything like that. But you know what happens in today's world. Something like this, you mentioned patriots and videotaping, and it doesn't take long from things to go from zero to 60 The Patriots eventually, on Monday night, released a statement that read as follows. For the past year, the New England Patriots content team has produced a series of behind-the-scenes features on various departments within the organization. The seven previous Do Your Job episodes are archived on Patriots.com. On Sunday, December 8th, the content team sent a three-person video crew to the Bengals-Browns game at First Energy Stadium in order to capture one part of a longer feature on the Patriots scouting department. In this case, a Patriots pro personnel scout while he was working in the press box. While we sought and were granted credentialed access from the Cleveland Browns for the video crew, our failure to inform the Bengals and the league was an unintended oversight. In addition to filming the scout, the production crew, without specific knowledge of league rules, inappropriately filmed the field from the press box. The sole purpose of the filming was to provide an illustration of an advanced scout at work on the road. There was no intention of using the footage for any other purpose. We understand and acknowledge that our video crew, which included independent contractors who shot the video, unknowingly violated a league policy by filming the crew, the field and the sideline from the press box. When questioned, the crew immediately turned over all footage to the league and cooperated fully. The production crew is independent of our football operation. While aware that one of the scouts was being profiled for a do-your-job episode, our football staff had no other involvement whatsoever in the planning, filming, or creative decisions made during the production of these features. We accept full responsibility for the actions of our production crew at the Browns-Bengals game. Now, that's the Patriots' stated version of the events. You can discuss now other versions of the events. For example, there is reported from The Athletic that the footage in question contained up to eight minutes of the Bengals' sideline. And it's unclear at the time of this recording whether that's eight minutes of game time, eight minutes of real time, which might be three plays. Let's be honest. (laughs) Football games can move a little slowly. That's unclear. It's also true that in today's National Football League, there is not much to be gained from filming the sideline of an NFL team. Most, if not all, signals are communicated in to an offense, to a defense, via the radio headset. And Matt Chatham, who covers the Patriots for The Athletic, who has been in the National Football League, who has won Super Bowls, went back and watched both you know, coaches' tape and broadcast tape of the Bengals, And through two games of his study in this team has relayed the fact that there are no signals being sent in via hand gestures or what we traditionally assume to be signals that are communicated into the players on defense. There was an allegation that, yes, the things are radioed in, but then there are adjustments that are hand signaled in and you could figure those out. Matt Chatham, I take him at his complete word, says this is not the case. There just isn't enough time, and Jeff Schwartz as well, former offensive lineman, has said there's just not enough time to signal stuff in and get adjustments done. You've got to rely on the players to make the right adjustments. That's why you coach these guys up. This can be entirely true, and it very well is probably entirely true, that there's nothing to be gained about filming the sideline, and Chatham and Schwartz are 100% correct in that they don't signal stuff in today anyway. It's not like a college game where they get the you know big poster boards of the poop emoji and you know Mike Golick and whatever that mean things. It's not like you can study that and then piece it together. This can all be true. Everything that the Patriots said in this statement can also be true. The unfortunate fact is that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because the Patriots will not get the benefit of the doubt no matter what. This footage that they obtained that is now in the league hands, whether it has eight minutes or eight seconds of the Bengals' sideline, it doesn't matter now. It doesn't matter because this franchise will not get the benefit of the doubt. And they may be entirely in the right. This may be an absolutely massive misunderstanding. But in their statement, they say their failure to inform the Bengals in the league was an unintended oversight. And here's where I have a little bit of a problem, regardless of the underlying allegations. Here's where I have a bit of a problem with the Patriots. They know that too. They know that because of past history, they're not going to get the benefit of the doubt. So if you're going to do this completely innocent production, you have to not just dot the I's and cross the T's. You have to bend over backwards that everything is above board. You have to let the... Bengals know, you have to let the league office know. Heck, you probably want to let everybody in the world know, tweet it out. We're going to be filming a guy today. Nothing nefarious here. We are just doing a little video production. I know it sounds silly. But we know and we are seeing play out live how this will get spun, how it will be viewed. And I know you might think, who cares how it gets spun? It doesn't matter. The truth is what will set you free. In this day and age, what's the old phrase? A lie goes around the world a hundred times before the truth puts its shoes on and gets out the door. It doesn't matter because the Patriots are already guilty. You poke around on Twitter, you go into fan forums, message boards, listen to talk radio, turn on a television. The Patriots are already guilty. It doesn't matter what that footage shows. And if they come back and say, well, the footage didn't show anything, there's nothing nefarious here, everything was above board, we're just moving on, that's not going to satisfy people. If they release some of the footage, it's not going to satisfy people. If they release all of the footage, it still won't satisfy people. The story's already been written in stone. So that's where I sort of stand on this. It doesn't matter what the truth is. That's why if I'm looking at this as objectively as I can, admittedly difficult to do as a Patriots fan. My biggest issue, regardless of the underlying allegations, if it turns out, look, if it turns out that they were just filming the Bengals' sideline and that they've been doing this all season long, yeah, it's gone from awful to worse. But even if everything you take from the Patriots statement is entirely true, they should have known better. They should have handled it differently because now they find themselves in this situation. Which, given everything else that is going on with this team right now, is the last thing they need. Unless you're one of the true conspiracy theorists out there and believe this is the thing they actually needed the most because it gives them something else to think about other than how bad they've been playing offensively. I don't know. I don't want to go there. I'm just saying that sitting here on the outside looking at this, trying to be objective, you've got to be smarter you've got to be fully bent over backwards above board on this because you're not going to get the benefit of the doubt. The history with air pressure and previous examples of taping from an improper place in the stadium, you're not going to get a break here. Again, That's just one guy's opinion. I'm just an idiot with a microphone. And I know a lot of listeners probably disagree with pretty much everything I just said, but it doesn't matter. Like, this is the world we live in. They've been prejudged. They've been found guilty. And the facts may set them free legally, but not in the court of a public opinion, which is where in the year of our Lord, 2019, everything is decided anyway. All right. I had to say that. I hate talking about this stuff. I'd rather talk about football, even when it's bad football. And that's what we're going to talk about next. We're going to talk about the Patriots passing game, some of the issues they've had, trust, double China 7, all sorts of nerdy football stuff. That's ahead on this 50th golden anniversary installment of this Go Show. Mark Schofield back here with you on episode 50 of this Go Show. And let's move to a happier topic, the ineptitude of the Patriots passing game. Yeah, super fun show. I can't wait to see the numbers on this one. There's going to be like three listens. Even my parents won't listen to this episode. But let's start first quarter after the Mahomes interception. This was a chance for the Patriots to really sort of put their stamp on this game early. You got uh, first and ten at the Kansas City 41. And they have to punt. And part of the reason they have to punt is they end up facing... A third and 11. And the reason they face a third and 11 is because on the second down, they try a pass and play. Brady gets pressured, is forced to make a throw under duress, and the pass is incomplete. Now they try to get Kansas City to bite on play action. They've got Brady under center. This is at the 11 17 mark of the first quarter. It's a second 11 at the Kansas City 41. If Brady under center, they run play action off of a power look, and they release four receivers downfield. And they're basically running a mirrored Hoss concept in a sense. The outside receivers all hitch up. They're more comebacks than hitches, but you've got seams on the inside and these comeback routes on the outside. And to try to sell the play action, they pull left guard Joe Tooney from the left guard spot to the right edge. And this is a design we've talked about before. Sometimes it frustrates me. This is a perfect reason why because they pull Joe Tooney, but the Chiefs Brené a blitz, attacking the gap that he vacates. And the design of the play asks for the center, James Frenz, to work back to the outside and perhaps pick up anybody in that gap. The problem being, they've got a defensive tackle lined up between the left guard and the center. So when Ferentz tries to block out that way, he's going to hit the defensive tackle. It leaves an unblocked defender blitzing through that gap. Now the running back tries to chip him, but it and he does a very good job of it. The problem is the chip forced the cut block from Sony Michelle which is effective it still forces Brady to move in the pocket so it throws off the timing of the route and after he resets his feet there's nothing to throw to because behind it Chiefs are just basically playing cover 4 they're on top of every route there's nowhere to go with the ball Brady's timing is thrown off by the blitz even though the blitz is picked up by Sony Michelle And at that point, the defender Raglan gets up from the cut block by Michelle and is able to put a hit on Brady. Pass falls incomplete. You know, you expose yourself to this if you're going to pull the guard. Very next play, they go to their 20 package, their pony package. And it's simple four man rush, Shaq Mason gets beat badly. Defensive tackle aligns on his right shoulder. Attacks inside first. Whips him with the left arm to hit his hands. He's able to beat him right there. He has a free shot at Brady. Shaq Mason just gets beat. So those are the first two plays. Then later in the first quarter, this is a third and three at the 2 minute 12 second mark of the first quarter. Patriots go play action again. It's a third and three. Play action off of a wide zone look to the right. The Linebackers all bite. Brady comes up. He's got Matt LaCosse open on a seam route working to the inside, to the middle of the field. He's open. He's beating his defender. Safety is still seven yards away. He wants to throw it there. But Isaiah Wynn gets beaten. Because they're running wide zone look, He's got a defender that crosses his face on this wide zone blocking assignment and he gets into Brady's face and Brady is forced to pull it down. Now, Brady could probably throw this a bit quicker here because he comes out of the play fake, sets up, and there's a window to throw this. But he hesitates a step too long that allows that pressure to get home. He has to pull it down, throws late to Ben Watson, and it's incomplete. And now... I don't want to go too far into the psychoanalysis angle of trust from Tom Brady. But the fact he doesn't pull the trigger right away to Lacoste has me sort of wondering at this point. Is there a trust issue? Then you go to the interception. And that was a throw to Matt Lacoste. Now, I think that in part, this is really just a very good defensive play. Romo called this man coverage. It's really... It's a variation of cover three. If you want to get into Saban-esque, Sabanese, Nick Saban school, it's three Mabel. Where on the weak side, the back side of this play, the Patriots are in 12 personnel, two tight ends, three receivers to the right, Brady under center, first and 10, 13-04 mark of the second quarter. On the back side of this, on the one receiver, single receiver side, it's Mohamed Sanu. It's Meg or man everywhere he goes. So that receiver, that defender, excuse me, that corner is in simple straight man coverage. Backside, it's zone. And that defender over Julian Edelman, who is the outside receiver, the number one receiver, one, two, three, working outside in, he will take Edelman and stay with a man if he releases vertically. If he comes inside quick, short, under five yards, then he sinks vertically into his zone and reads then from one to two. Now he's reading the inside receiver. If the inside receiver releases vertically while his number one guy, which is Edelman, cuts inside, then he will sink under and carry all of number two vertically. That's exactly what happens. Edelman releases inside, so Breland passes him off, sinks under Lacoste's vertical route. So it's a great coverage Great use of three Mabel. The other issue here is this. I don't Dane Brady for mechanics often. He locks his front leg here. This is an issue with quarterbacks. Sometimes you lock that front leg. It causes you issues with release point, with placement, and a dip in velocity. And what happens here? The throw is behind Lacoste. If you watch this play, when Breland comes underneath it, Lacoste is running the seam route at the top of the numbers, and he has to reach back for the ball. Poor placement, lack of dip in velocity there, throws behind him, and it's intercepted. Even if Breland cuts underneath this, as Brady gets more on this throw, more upfield, he's not going to be in position to make a play. And that front leg lock-in might have had something to do with it. Later in the second quarter, second and seven and fourth and seven. These are on the seven-minute mark. Second and seven at the Kansas City 27-yard line. This is before the failed fourth down, which we'll get to. On the second and seven play, Chiefs go zero blitz. One guy has a free shot. Brady tries to back shoulder to it to set. And I think that sentence might speak for itself. I. Not sure if Philip Dorsett is your best back shoulder option right now. And then on fourth down, he gets blitzed from the slot, Brady does. Slot defender over Edelman comes. He has a chance to hit this. But the problem is they blitz two guys basically to the right side. The linebacker comes from the right and the slot defender. One of them has a free rush. Brady gets rushed in the throw, just a bit much. Can't really step into it, and he misses it. If Brady gets a chance to step into this throw, maybe he hits it. Maybe it's something completely different. But instead, Patriots turn it over on downs. Later in the second quarter, third and 10 at the 3.06 mark. This is another situation where guys get beat. Brady's forced to climb in the pocket. Both Marcus Cannon and Isaiah Wynn get beat badly. They drop seven in coverage. He's able, Brady is, to escape the pressure somehow because he beats both edge guys as he climbs away, one of whom gets Brady wrapped up, but Brady fights through it, then evades a third defender, checks it down to White. The pass is a little bit low, and it falls incomplete. Can't fault Brady there. Makes basically three guys miss in the pocket on third and 10. But where's he going to go with the ball? I mean, you look downfield, they're dropping seven into coverage. He's got two digs. The inside one from Edelman, that's covered. The outside one, that's covered. And by the time those routes might technically break open, Brady's running for his life. Backside, he gets a go route, that's covered. There's no way he can go with the ball. They're dropping seven. He has to throw the check down anyway. Getting into the third quarter now. We got third and five at the 758 mark. Brady gets sacked here. And this is a stunt. We talked about Isaiah Wynn handling stunts last week or a couple weeks ago. I believe it was the Dallas game here. Defensive end has a wide nine alignment well outside of him. He knifes inside. When you see that as a left tackle, I'm not an offensive line expert, but I've watched enough football, I've studied enough playbooks, I've studied enough offensive line play to know, and defensive line play to know, if you've got a guy in the wide nine alignment well outside your left shoulder and he immediately attacks inside you between... Your right shoulder and the left shoulder of the left guard, the guy inside of you, you have to start thinking looper. You have to start thinking that defensive tackle from the inside is looping around. Otherwise, what's happening? You know they're not going to do this. He's not going to do this from that alignment. Use an alignment base to beat me to the outside with speed and then cut inside. Unless something else is happening, when doesn't recognize it. So you get the looper that comes around that gives some pressure, and in addition. James Foran's the center, fans to the right, but he gets beaten by Chris Jones. Both guys get in the pocket, and they sack Brady. So that's an awareness issue from Wynn and the fact that you're playing with the third string center. Third and five at the 12-26 mark. I believe this is fourth quarter now. Just checking my notes. This is after the Nikhil Harry play that should have been a touchdown and all that. Patriots have third and five. They've got a bunch to the right. And they're basically running Tampa Pirate, which is a play out of the Eagles playbook. I know that because I just wrote about that this week for Pro Football Weekly and the Bears. There's a lot of marriages going on of playbooks and concepts. But route concept is basically this. You get a bunch to the right. You get a snag route from the outside receiver who is Edelman. You get a corner route from the apex or middle trips receiver who is Dorset. And then the inside receiver, the number three receiver, runs dart, arrow, whatever you want to call it, diagonal, I think, in the Patriots playbook, where he's just releasing right to the flat. And so you have a flat route from the inside receiver, a snag route, and then a corner route over the top of it. And the read structure on this play is such that his first read, Brady's first read, going by... Yes, the Eagles playbook, but the reads are usually similar from team to team. His first read is Myers in the flat. And Myers is open because they're in a bunch. They man coverage this. They they man it straight up. They don't banjo it. They don't switch it or anything. So the inside receiver covering Myers to the flat has to get over the top of Edelman and Dorsett and their defenders. And so when Brady hits his drop depth, he's in the gun. Hits his drop depth, depth, it's a three-step drop. Myers is at the five-yard line. And again, it's third and goal at the five. And the defender is still in the end zone. Now, maybe Brady thinks that if he throws it at this point because it's on the left hash mark, maybe he thinks because of the distance this throw has to travel, it's not going to get there in time. But this is first read, and he comes off of it. And he looks at Edelman underneath, then works backside, then gets sacked. But the first read was there. Now, it's a disappointing way to end, which was a disappointing drive, which should have been a touchdown drive. But if you want to talk about trust, there's a moment. And if you want to return to trust, the final play of the game, not the final play, but the final Patriots offensive play. It's fourth and three at the five. Got three receivers to the left. You're running double China seven. Number number one receiver on the outside runs a five yard in right at the goal line. Number two receiver, the middle trips receiver, Jacoby Myers. He's running an in route. He's gonna be right at the first down marker. Your number three receiver, Julian Edelman. He's running the corner route. Now initially, I thought it's double China seven. You're trying to get that corner route from the inside receiver. Man to man coverage. That's a nice look but it's not your primary read on the play. You look at playbooks, you look at coaching clinics, you watch coaching clinics. When they break down this play, the quarterback's first read is that first in cut from the number two receiver, who, by the way, is Jacoby Myers. And he's open. When Brady releases this throw, Myers is open right at the two-yard line for what would have been a first down. But Brady gets man coverage and goes to his second read, which is the corner route to Edelman, and that gets broken up. If you do want to talk about trust, and I know guys like Dan Orlovsky highlighted this play, and others, there's a point to be made here. Because staring at a playbook right now, you look at that route concept, the first read's open. He throws to the second read, and the pass gets deflected. So those were some of the takeaways I had watching this offense. It's it's a struggle right now with the passing game. And A lot of the things we've talked about are there, are present. A lot of the things that we didn't talk about on the post-game show, we get to see here. Um, Brady not coming to his first read when it's open. Maybe there is a trust issue. All the ugliness that we've been discussing on the Slack channel elsewhere, it's here. And they get to fix it now with the cloud of what people are calling, not me, but what people are calling Spygate 2.0 handing over their heads. Happy days are here again, friends. Anyway, that will do it for today. Tomorrow, Thursday, putting together some ideas for a show right now. Might have a guest come on to talk Bengals. Might not. Might just roll with the, we're on to Cincinnati show. It's a fun week, kids. It's a fun week. Hopefully, they cap it off with a victory. That's all I can say. Until next time, friends. Please do keep on blessing that Patriots reign, down and folks.